Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Well, welcome to uh, The Great Adventure. We're studying the book of Acts, and we want to welcome our podcast listeners. We have over 200 podcast listeners that listen to our podcast every week, as well as come here to Bayshore. And also, Facebook Live is watching right now. We have Facebook Live uh, audience that's watching all over the country. So we're very grateful for all the people that we're privileged to reach. So thank you for being a part of today's experience. Uh, We are in the book of Acts, and we have come to an important part of the book of Acts. And one of my... uh, I guess one of my favorite sections of the book of Acts is Acts 15. Last week we talked about the, uh, the Jerusalem Council and deciding about uh, what, ba- what is the basis for salvation. Uh, do we need Jesus plus some other stuff or is Jesus enough? And so the early church had a council about that, dealing with all these Gentiles coming in. And uh, they concluded that Jesus, our faith in Jesus, is completely sufficient for our salvation, that we don't have to add anything to that. So that's an important, uh, important study. But today we want to look at, let me read the last part of uh, Acts chapter 15, and I'm just going to finish Acts today, Acts 15, and uh, let me read this story. Uh, After some days, Paul and Barnabas uh, said, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, one of the reasons that I love the Bible is its candor and its honesty. The Bible is not pretentious. The Bible is completely honest. There's no cover-ups in the Bible. And today, we look at a section of Scripture where we see uh, some of the best people in the Bible. Paul, who had a vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Barnabas, who was a great encourager. Uh, Paul wrote half of the New Testament, about 13 books in the New Testament. So these are spiritual giants. We see them, uh, these incredible spiritual giants, and we see them at their worst moment. They're having a very intense argument. They are fighting and arguing with each other. Now, I don't know if you can vision this, but the Apostle Paul, his face is red. Barnabas, you know, his eyes are, are, are fixed on Paul, and they're having this incredible intense argument. Now, this is the reason that I love Scripture. I love Scripture because Scripture is not Pollyannish. It doesn't sort of like make everything wonderful and everything beautiful. And the Bible tells us up front that people that serve Jesus are just people, real people that are still growing in their faith and learning to work things out. So when I come to the Scriptures, I'm always comforted that nobody 
Nobody in the New Testament, nobody in the Old Testament has a halo. Halos were an invention of artists in the medieval times. Nobody has halos. These are real people. If you think about, you know, different people in the scriptures that we look up to, we think about, uh, and you see consistently through the uh, Old Testament, New Testament, we see that God allows us to see the warts and the blemishes of people that are serving him. And that helps me immensely. Um, something that uh, is written in uh, the book of James, James chapter 3, verse 2. This is James, who is the half-brother of Jesus. We learned last week that James was the leader of the New Testament church. And so when we read about uh, James chapter 3, verse 2, uh, this is the half-brother of Jesus. He was raised with Jesus uh, in the home of Mary and Joseph. Here's what he wrote. He said, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble what he says, he's a perfect man. We all stumble in many ways. Now, here's what I love about that verse. It doesn't say, you all stumble. He said, we all stumble. So James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, I'm stumbling. He was the leader of the early church. So if you look at the Bible as a whole, you see some of the best people in the Bible having struggles. For instance, you find that Noah, after he got out of the ark... After he got done, uh, you know, completing that mission in that ark for over a year with those animals and in the ark with his family, and his family kept saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I mean, he had this year-long time with his family, and uh, when he got off the ark, the Bible says this, that he planted a vineyard, and then he made some wine, and then he got drunk. This is Noah, and here's what it says uh, specifically Genesis 9.20, Noah, a man of soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard, and when he drank some of the wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. So this is the man who says in, it says of him in Genesis 6, that Noah had grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was the righteous man. He was the best man of his generation. And he had this episode where he got drunk. And not only did he get drunk, but he uncovered himself. I guess when you get inebriated, you get hot. And he took his clothes off. And here is Noah laying naked in his tent, surrounded by beer cans and liquor bottles. <laughs> this is Noah. This is our guy. So, and it says, uh, you know, here, what's interesting about this, I'm, t I'm taking a course right now. Um, on cosmology, and I'm studying all the different uh, flood stories and creation stories in the ancient Near Eastern world. So there's all these other stories about the flood and uh, the epic of Gilgamesh and uh, the Anu Elish and all these different things that, are, are, that have these other stories. And every one of these stories, and some people say, well, oh, it's the same stories of the Bible. There are some similarities, of course. But every, every story, these ancient Near East stories, flood stories, the guy in the boat always becomes a hero at the end, a demigod or a hero. But in the Bible, we don't get that. We get a historical, a real historical count of this guy who was used by God in an incredible way, and he got drunk, and he laid naked in his tent. The Bible says that his son Ham uh, saw his father, went and told his brothers Japheth uh, and Shem and Japheth, told, the, told his brothers, and he had a curse put on him. There's an interesting principle in this story that when you see the weakness of another person, it's not a virtue to tell everybody that, vir uh, that weakness. 
And so the Bible says that Shem and Japheth, that they uh, walked backwards with a blanket and they covered up their naked father and the Lord blessed them. So there's a principle that when we know our weaknesses of a friend or a brother or a sister or someone close to us, that we don't magnify that for other people. If you're ever around somebody that takes great delight in telling you the worst moments of other people, run for your life. Because that person will do the same thing about you. Now, there's a few exceptions to this principle of hiding other people's weaknesses. The exceptions would be, of course, if there's any kind of abuse, sexual abuse or physical abuse going on. Obviously, that needs to be uh, completely exposed or something illegal. But generally speaking, generally about just general life stuff, it's a virtue to cover up people's weaknesses and not tell other people about their weaknesses. Let me give you a, a proverb to go along with that point. Proverbs ten twelve says, Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. But love covers over all, all wrongs. So we got Noah. He's drunk. He gets, he gets drunk. Then we got Moses. Moses, who wrote the Ten Commandments or received the Ten Commandments from God and saw, you know, God's hinder parts. Moses, this great guy, wrote the Pentateuch, first five books in the Bible. And the Bible says about Moses that one time when the Lord told him to take his rod and go to a rock and the people were thirsty, that he was to speak to the rock and the water would come out of the rock. Earlier, he had done the, earlier he had struck the rock, and it was, a, it was a typology of Jesus being smitten and bringing life to us. But the next time, it was just to take the rod and to speak to the rock. But he, he, he had all these people that were complaining about him. They were criticizing him. They were, they were just, just, just eating him up. And they were, he was under all this stress. And he turned in anger, and he said, You rebels! You rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lost his temper, and he took the rod, and he struck the rock twice in anger. And because of that issue, he was not allowed to go into the promised land. One of the reasons for that is that he represented the law. He was the lawgiver, and the law can never take us into the promised land. It's Joshua, who is a symbol of Jesus, that takes us into the promised land. But he lost his temper. Now, let me ask a question, a very embarrassing question. I know you've never lost your temper, but how many of you know somebody that lost their temper? Just raise your hand. You know somebody that's lost their temper. And Moses said rash things. Here's what Psalm says about him. Psalm 106, verse 32 and 33 says this about Moses when he lost his temper. By the waters of Meribah, they angered the Lord and trouble came to Moses because of them. For they rebelled against the Spirit of God and rash words came from Moses' lips. Rash words. He lost his temper, and not only did he uh, strike the rock, but rash or reckless words, ungoverned by the Spirit of God, came out of his mouth. And so we all relate to that. We relate to things that I think the best Christian parents that are loving Jesus, serving Jesus, coming to church, you know, reading the Bible, have their kids in Bayshore, kids and all that. Even the best parents sometimes have said some reckless things with their words to uh, maybe uh, that they have to repent uh, before their kids. Now, I don't know where you are, but my kids, you know, my, I have grown sons. And when I was raising them when they were little, I had to apologize to my sons uh, several times, things I said I shouldn't have said and ask them to forgive me. And I promise, you know, as they've gotten older, that I'll pay for any therapy that you need, uh, anything I've done to you. I'm responsible. I will pay for your therapy. 
So listen, uh, that's, that's the, Moses was in that. He lost his temper. So we don't see Moses just you know, coming down from the mountain with the, with the Ten Commandments, walking down there like some perfect man of God. We see Moses losing his temper, and we see him uh, in rare form. Well, it gets worse. These are our best people that we have in the Bible. Then we got David, uh, David, the King, king David. David was, uh, you know, uh, it says that he was a man after God's own heart. And he wrote many of the Psalms, not all the Psalms. Some people think David wrote all the Psalms. He just wrote some of the Psalms, but a lot of the Psalms he wrote. How many have ever read uh, or quoted Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside water, still waters. and He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me beside still waters. And, and uh, if I walk through the valley of shadow of death, he will be with me. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We love that. I quote it all the time. I love it. It's a wonderful thing. David wrote that. David wrote that. David was a man after God's own heart. David had faith to kill Goliath when everybody else was afraid. What a great man of God he was. But the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 11 that as David was established as king, he sent Joab off to war one night, and uh, Joab and the army left the city of Jerusalem, and David was left in the city all by himself. And you wonder if that was by plan, if he had planned it to be that way. But that night he climbed up on the roof. And he saw a naked woman. He saw, he saw Bathsheba taking a bath and he lusted after her. And, uh, you know, I don't know if he saw her accidentally. He was just up on the roof, you know, looking to see if there's any tiles loose. Or if he was up there looking for Bathsheba. But he saw her and he lusted after her. And listen, hey, listen, uh, uh, I didn't mean to say this, this is not even my sermon notes here, but for, for men, if you, if you see a beautiful woman uh, and a beautiful woman comes by and a little thing goes on in your meter that you recognize there's a beautiful woman, that's not a sin. You know, that's not a sin. You know, the Bible, the old King James says, uh, uh, it says, you know, that, uh, describing beautiful women in the, uh, in the, in the Old Testament, it describes that they were fair to look upon. So they're sort of like, uh, they're sort of like you know, that's a, that's a natural thing. You know, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're riding down the street and Dewey, and you see a beautiful woman, and you notice, well, there's a beautiful woman, and you keep going. But if you keep circling back around, you know, <laughs> then you're in something completely different at that point. So, you know, David, he was circling back around. You know, that's what he was doing. And so uh, he saw her. And it's interesting, he sent a messenger. He said, go get him. Bathsheba for me. And the Lord was warning David because the messenger said, is she not the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So the messenger spoke up and David forced the messenger to go get Bathsheba. And Bathsheba came and there's all this debate about whether she was a, uh, was she was a, a me too person, the powerful king got her, uh, or if she was a collaborator in that, we'll never know. But uh, she was a part uh, of that whole thing. They got together and she got pregnant and then David tried to cover his sin and he tried to get Uriah to come home and sleep with his wife so it would look like it was his baby. And this, is, this didn't work out and so he sent a note by... Uh, you know, by, uh, by Uriah himself carrying his own death threat, gave it to Joab, and Joab put him in a battle where he'd be killed. That's, that's what David did. That's what David did. This is, this is the guy, when you read Psalm 23, next time you read Psalm 23, think about it. That's the guy that did that. But you know what he says in Psalm 51? If you love Psalm 23, Psalm 51 is where David repents of this sin. And David said, create in me me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. And he repents before the Lord. So you see that part of David as well. So you you you, you got Noah drunk. 
you got uh, Moses, you know, striking the rock, and then you got David committing murder and uh, adultery, and then you have uh, Peter in the New Testament, Peter who was in the garden with Jesus on the night that Jesus was betrayed, and he was there in the garden with Jesus, and, uh, you know, the soldiers came, and Peter, you know, uh, he was at a prayer meeting, and he was praying with Jesus, and then this soldier came, and he took a sword and cut his ear off, you know, so he cut an ear off in a, soul, in a prayer meeting, interesting thing, and then, and then Peter followed Jesus, and the, and the soldiers that took Jesus into captivity from a distance, followed him from a distance, and then the, the people around the campfire, you know, asked Peter, oh, you're with him, you're with him, you're with him, and three times, three times, Peter denied that he knew Jesus. And Luke's gospel says that the last time he denied Jesus, Jesus looked at him. There was a, they were in a, a, some kind of arrangement where Jesus and Peter could see each other. And Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. Not only did he sin once, he did the same thing another time. He did the same thing a third time. Let me ask a question. Do you know somebody that's committed the same sin more than once? Just raise your hand if you know somebody. It's not you, but you know somebody that's done that. Okay. These are our best people. And this is what the Bible teaches us about this. We see the humanity of individuals in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see people as they are. Nobody has halos. And it's written to encourage us and comfort us. If I was living in Bible times and God asked me, Danny, do you want to be in the Bible? I'll put you in the Bible. I'll feature you in the Bible. And I would say, no, thank you. No, thank you. I don't want to be in the Bible because I know that God is a journalist. He tells everything. He tells everything. So that is for our encouragement. But then we see... uh, Barnabas and Paul, where we started today, we saw Barnabas and Paul that were in this huge argument with each other. They were fighting. They were fussing with each other. And uh, it's just a sad moment to see these two godly men, godly men, having this just intense argument. Let me just say this to you. Listen, this may be the most important point of the message. I got a lot of other things to say, but this may be the most important thing. Hey, listen, good people have arguments. Good people have arguments. It's not one person has a black hat on and one person has a white hat on. In this case, we have two good people, both wearing white hats, both good people, and they had an argument. Good people have arguments. Good people have arguments. And so they had this argument. So they're arguing. What are they arguing about? They're arguing about a mission trip. They wanted to go on a mission trip. And I've led a few mission trips, and they've caused some arguments before. But anyhow, mission trips, he was going on a mission trip. Uh, a little flashback there. But anyhow, mission trip. They were going on a mission trip, and, and, and Paul was ready to go. We want to go back and revisit the churches that we were uh, established on the first missionary journey. Great idea. And it's interesting. a little interesting point here. Paul was the initiator. Paul brought up the mission trip. And Barnabas said, hey, great, let's do it. I want to take John Mark with me. Let's take John Mark again. He started out with us on the first missionary journey. And Paul said, there's no way we're taking John Mark because the last time we took John Mark, we got to Pamphylia. We were halfway through our trip, not even halfway through our trip. He got homesick and he went home. And so we're not going to do it. Barnabas said, listen, I want to take John Mark. He's come a long ways. He's growing and he wants to go. I want to take John Mark. And Paul said, listen, you can want to take John Mark all day you want to. Jump up and down, go home and cry yourself to sleep. John Mark is not going with us. So they had this big argument about that. So why did they argue? Let's, let's do a dissection of their argument. And I, I don't know if I know exactly, precisely why they argued, but here's some ideas. 
First thing, first reason they may have argued is they may have argued because they had two different visions. They had two different visions. Sometimes people argue because they have two different visions. Two different visions for where they're going in life. Two different visions for the company they're working for. Two different visions for the church they're a part of. And maybe there's two different visions. Now, Paul's vision was, was to get to every major city in the Roman Empire and plant a church and get churches everywhere. That was his goal. That's all he thought about. Barnabas was more of a people-nurturing development kind of person. Uh, he wanted to you know, nurture people and help people. After all, it was he who took Paul, when nobody wanted to have anything to do with Paul, Barnabas brought Paul before the other apostles, and he nurtured him. He saw the potential in him. Barnabas is a Michelangelo. Michelangelo was said to have looked at a block of marble, and he said, supposedly, there's an angel in that block of marble, and I need to set him free. When John Mark, uh, when, when Barnabas looked at John Mark, he saw an angel in a block of marble, and he wanted to develop him. But Paul's vision was, was to get to as many towns as possible, as fast as you could, plant a church, and we don't need to have unreliable people slowing up the objective. His objective was clear. So sometimes people have different visions. So if you're going to marry, you're thinking about getting married to somebody, just those of you who are in the single category, when people come in and they talk to me about getting married and they want to get married, I always ask them, where do you want to be five years from now? Where do you want to be five years from now? What's your vision? What's your dream? Do you want to live in Sussex County for the next five years? Do you want to move to Paris? What do you want to do? How many kids do you want to have? you want to have 12 kids? you want to have two kids? Do you want to work? And you say to the lady, do you want to work? Do you want to be a career person or do you want to stay home? And what are your visions? And sometimes, you know, you, know, they, you got the guy said, well, I want, to have, I want to have one kid. And the lady says, I want to have 12 kids. And, you, you know, you got a problem. you got a vision colliding there. Sometimes, you know, the gal, you know, this guy maybe had the vision of he's going to come home from work, set his lunch pail on the, on the counter, and his wife's going to be dressed in a negligee, and he's going to have dinner already. That's what she's vision. I'm telling you, that's a pipe dream is what I tell him. First of all, that's a pipe dream right there. <laughs> but what's your vision? What's your vision? Here at Bayshore, when people come to Bayshore, why we do new, next steps? We do next steps. We tell them what our vision is. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's exactly what we're trying to do. We have a specific vision. And if this is not your vision, this is not your place. You shouldn't be here. But if this is your vision, you need to jump in and help us do it. So vision, division, division is caused by two visions. Two visions. So what's your vision? So I think Paul and Barnabas had different visions. I think Paul and Bar- I think Barnabas was counselor. I think he was the guy that's going to sit, you know, and counsel and nurture people. And I think Paul was the guy that was going to have the machete and it was going to, you know, whack his way through the woods and make a road and get the gospel everywhere. They were two. They had two different visions. Nothing wrong. Barnabas has got a good vision. Paul has got a good vision. But those things don't go together. So it's important for us to know that. So second thing is they had different personalities. Different personalities. Paul, you know, I don't, I don't think you'd want to go talk to Paul for counseling. He's kind of black and white, straightforward theologian. I don't think you, you, you want to go to Barnabas. Barnabas is going to love on you. He's going to tell you you're great. Hey, listen, you know, you're awesome. You know, and he didn't, you know, Paul's going to say, he's going to slap you upside the head. So different personalities, different personalities. Here's what I think is interesting. I think, I think Barnabas was high on mercy and great on grace and I think Paul was low on mercy. Now, there's a scale here I want to put here. There's a principle here about uh, the, the relationships. Some people have low mercy, 
And they're just made kind of black and white kind of people. And Paul, I think, was low mercy. And if you're low mercy, this represents chances on this horizontal line here. Chances, if you're low mercy, how many chances did the person get that you're working with? You get one chance. If you're high on mercy, high on mercy, you get all kinds of chances. And I think that primarily that uh, Barnabas was high on mercy, lots of latitude, lots of grace. Now, this works in parenting. When you have people, usually you have a low mercy parent and you have a high mercy parent. And I was sort of the high mercy parent, and Karen was the low mercy parent. You know, you do it this way. Karen was more structured than I was. And that worked great when the kids were little. When they were little, they needed all those rules and that high, that, you know, yep, you don't do it right. You're in your room or whatever. She's that way. And she kept the kids alive. I mean, that's important. So <laughs> that's real important. So uh, that, that she was, you know, on that. But when the kids got to be teenagers, and needed more latitude. My high mercy was like I had lots, much more latitude, and it worked really well. Do they, you know, they wanted to go surfing, you know, in in a you know electrical storm, you know, and they got a big storm going on. <laughs> Karen was like, "There is no way you're going." And I say, "Boys, you know, hey, mom, got to let them explore. They got to do their thing. You know, boys, go. Just don't wear your metal helmets. You know, I want you to go." So, but you have conflict, and and I tell you, I guarantee you, you're never very rarely you have too high. High, high uh, mercy people together. You don't have a low mercy and a high mercy. I've seen sometimes the dad is, you know, low mercy and the mom is high mercy. But you're going to have these issues. And so you just got, and what is the, what, what do you do with this? Well, you have to recognize it first of all. You know, it's, it, you know, uh, you have to recognize it. And the other thing is, is both of these things are needed at times. Sometimes consequences are very important. And it's not time for another chance. It's time for consequences. Sometimes mercy is needed. So that's the thing to work through. That's important. So there, there's that issue. There's uh, different visions, different personalities. And then there's this in this story. There's the family factor. The family factor. Do you know that Barnabas and, and, and Mark, John Mark, are relatives? They're related to each other? Let me, let me give you a, a verse for that. Colossians 4.10. I think that could put it on the screen. Colossians 4.10. Uh, we know that they are relatives. They're related together. Uh, uh, this is Paul writing to the uh, church at Colossae. Aristarchus, uh, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning you have been received instructions. Uh, if he comes to you, welcome him. So Mark and Barnabas are cousins. How many know this? You can bust up on your family members. You can bust up on them, but nobody else better. How many know that? Blood's thicker than water, you know? And so you got this thing going on where Barnabas, that's his cousin. That's my cousin, you're saying, is not going to step up. And so you got this family issue going on. Listen, good old Sussex County, people that are from Sussex County, you know, this is uh, blood is thick. Blood is thick. People are, will be protective of their family. You say, you know, is that right? Well, I don't know if it's right or not. It is the case. People protect their family members. Now, how does that work? How does that apply to you? Okay, here's how it applies. Here's, here's one idea for you to think about. You've got a blended family. You've got mom coming. She's got two little kids that she had by somebody else. She's marrying, you know, the guy from the gym that has no kids and they get married and they get together and her loyalty, 
her loyalty is going to run toward the blood. So what does that mean? Does it mean you can never have a blended family? Yes, you can have a blended family. But listen, if you're the guy married in that situation, first of all, you need to know what your role is and you better be able to live with it. You better, it could be the other way. It could be the husband's got kids and you got that kind of thing. So very, very important. And let me just say something pretty controversial. This is going to be, I'm going to say something controversial right now and you just take it. You're not going to like it. Some of you aren't going to like it. And just here it is. If you are getting divorced and you have kids, your first priority is to take care of your kids, not look for a new relationship. I went over just like I thought it was going to go over exactly. You say, I can never get married again. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just, I'm just saying, you're, you, brought, you brought your kids into this mess. You better take care of them. And I see it all the time. You know, needy, needy people that, oh, they're so needy. And they got divorced. And four months later, they're get, dating somebody, getting married. And these poor kids are like luggage being drugged around. And I'm here to tell you, that's not how it is. Kids are a gift from God. You need to love these kids. You brought them in the world. You need to take care of them. And uh, there we go. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. So anyhow, that's my point. So they were family members. Okay, the family factor, the personality factor, the vision factor. And here's about, here's some other things, some underlying issues underlying issues. Maybe the argument was about some underlying issues. I think sometimes that arguments are not about what arguments seem to be about, but they're about something else. That you're arguing about something, but that's not really the issue. You're arguing about something else. It's like an iceberg. Here's a picture of an iceberg. You look at an iceberg and you see all this, but underneath, there's more underneath that you can't see than than what there is above the water. And sometimes in an argument, there's a whole lot of stuff under the water that's not seen. And actually, what's not seen is what's driving the argument. So your husband's not talking to you very much. And, you know, he's been a little inattentive and it's been bothering you for a couple weeks. And then he forgets to take the garbage out. And you get a bazooka up and you blow him out of the water. (laughs) And he's like, what in the world? I just forgot to take the garbage out. It's not about that. It's about something else. So, we, you know, here's what we need. All of us, I need it. We all struggle with this. We need self-awareness. We need to be aware of what's really going on inside. And we need to be honest about what's really going on inside. Here's some things that could have been going on with Paul and Barnabas. First of all, uh, there's, an interest, there's an interesting thing that happened that's in the history between Paul and Barnabas. In Galatians chapter 2, we know that Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch, and Peter... The Apostle Peter came up for a visit, and they're all hanging out. They're all getting along real good. They're hanging out with the Gentiles. They're at the uh, sub shop. They're eating you know, ham sandwiches. They're all living with the Gentiles. Everything's good. And then a couple of uh, people came from Jerusalem, legalistic, circumcised, you know, kind of like party leaders that came, and they saw Peter hanging out with those Gentiles. And Peter saw them seeing him, and he was worried about what they were going to say back him in, back about him in Jerusalem. So he pulled away from Paul and Barnabas to hang out with these legalistic Judaizers. And, and the Bible says this in Galatians 2, Barnabas himself was led astray and Barnabas stood with Peter. So Barnabas abandoned Paul and he stood with Peter. So you wonder if Paul remembers that that's always bothered him. You know, sometimes if somebody does something to you that's bothered you, you kind of chew on that like a dog chews on a bone. 
or you kind of, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever had mental shadow boxing where you're upset with somebody and you think about things you're going to say to them? So you're just kind of in your mind. You're just shadow boxing. And, and you know what happens when you shadow box mentally? When something happens and you have a, an issue with that person, that shadow boxing issue comes up into the present and you have this big argument. Was it that? Or was it this? Was it this? We know in the book of Acts that Barnabas started out as the leader. And he's mentioned it's always Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, chapter 13, until you get to chapter 14 when Paul and Barnabas, well, Barnabas and Paul go to Pamphylia, which is Turkey. They go to Pamphylia, and from that point on, it's always Paul and Barnabas. So Paul becomes the leader. Barnabas started out as the leader, but now Paul becomes the leader. And listen, here's an interesting little thing. It was at Pamphylia where Paul started becoming the leader and was called Paul, and that was at Pamphylia that John Mark left and went back to Jerusalem. Could it be, could it be that John Mark was jealous that now Paul was the leader? And did he go back and tell some of the people in Jerusalem, Paul's, you know, whelping all these Gentiles into the church and all that, and not making them be circumcised or keep all. And so there could have been those issues going on. So there was something going on. And so was it the argument, was the argument that got so intense? I wonder if the argument could get so intense just over John Mark. But what are these other background things going on as well? So here's what I would say to you this morning and say to me as I live in the same world you live in. Let's make sure that we don't shadow box in private. Let's get our hearts pure. Forgive people. You know, let people go in your heart. Don't stay angry. Keep your heart kind of like empty. It's like carrying a bowl full of water. If the, if the bowl's full, you know, it's going to spill easy. And if your heart's full of dis, disaggravations toward other people, you're going to have issues. If you've got issues with your spouse, speak the truth in love and talk it through. See a counselor or do with it. Don't let it just blow up and come out of control. Now, let me give you, let me give you just two more little things. Um, here's, here's what I think about when, when you have an argument with somebody and, and, you're, and, you're, and, you're in, and somebody's being ugly and you have conflict. I, I would always ask the question, and I want to always ask the question, is there something going on in that person's life right now that's making them ugly and edgy? Is there something going on in their life that I don't know about that makes them edgy and ugly? Because I think that we always need to give each other a get-out-of-jail-free card pass sometimes. Have you ever played Monopoly? Here's a get-out-of-jail-free uh, get uh, card pass. You know you need to carry those in life. Just give people a pass. You're having a bad day. You're having a bad day. Now, I read about this week, I read about this guy named... Uh, uh, Patton Os- Oswalt. Patton Oswalt. He's an actor and he's a comedian. I'll put a picture on the screen here. This is Patton Oswalt, uh, not him. That's Patton Oswalt. Okay, he's an actor. How many have seen this guy on TV? He's a he was uh, on Seinfeld way back years ago, and he's been on different shows. Uh, and uh, so he's a comedian and all that. He was on Twitter the other day, and he was on Twitter, and he made a snide remark about President Trump. And he's kind of a liberal guy, so he made this negative, snide remark toward Trump. And this Trump supporter named Michael Beatty, you know, fired back at him, you know, about Trump, how great a guy he was. And there was this, he just was said real ugly to this liberal Patton Oswalt. So Pat Oswalt made sort of a, a comment back to him. But then Patton Oswalt looked and went through his Twitter feed, and he noticed that the guy was going through a lot of medical issues. 
And here's his next tweet. I'm going to put it on the screen here, his next tweet. Here's what he wrote. Here's what Patton Oswalt wrote to the rest of his, uh, his uh, t- uh, Twitter friends, Twitter followers. Ah, oh, man, this dude just attacked me on Twitter and I joked back. But then I looked at his timeline and he's in a lot of trouble health-wise. He's been dealt some terrible cards. Let's deal him some good ones. Click and donate just like I'm about to. And he set, set up a fund, a GoFund uh, account on Facebook, and his goal was to raise $5,000 for this guy's medical bills. Instead of raising $5,000, he raised, raised three times that. And here's, the, here's Michael Beatty's response back to him. Here's what he said to this liberal Trump hater. Here's what he said. He said, you have humbled me to the point where I can barely compose my words You have caused me to take pause and reflect on how harmful words from my mouth could result in such an outpouring. That's a moment of grace right there. How many know we need more of that in our country? We need more of that in our country. But did you get that? He looked at the context, the context of this guy's snarly remarks had something to do with what he's going through in his life. Remember when I told you about Moses losing his temper and taking that rod and saying, you bunch of rebels and hitting the rock? If you read the context of that event in Moses' life in Numbers chapter 20, the chapter begins, his sister Miriam had just died. The little girl that had put him in the bulrushes and the little basket in Egypt and the little girl that had been beside him, his whole ministry and his whole life, she had just died. And then the people begin to complain. He's got this whole other world going on at the same time. So some, next time we're in an argument with somebody and we see them, you know, being ugly, we need to think about what's going on in their world, what's going on in their world. So here's what I say as I end today. I would say this to me, you know, I would say don't shadow box, keep your heart pure, don't be angry at people. You know, every day when I have my prayer time and I walk down the road, I pray the Lord's Prayer every single day. I pray and I, I forgive people. I try to walk in that and in, in, in God's grace. And almost every single day I need to give somebody the Lord and say, Lord, I just give that person to you. I know you love them and you're working in their life. It's more important to do. But you know what? Uh, What's great about the story, as I end, what's great about the story is, is that we have pretty good evidence that Paul and Barnabas got straightened out. There's a, there's a note, uh, there's a verse in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul speaks very warmly about Barnabas, uh, and this is well after this argument, and also Colossians, what's well after the argument, he refers to Barnabas as well. And we know that he got reconciled with Mark, John Mark, because we know that at one point John Mark was in prison with him. And another time, at the end of Paul's life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when he's about ready to leave this world, he's facing execution by Nero the emperor. He says this, he said, send for John Mark, send for John Mark, the one he had to fight about. Send for John Mark, because he's helpful, helpful to me in my ministry. When I was a little boy, eight or nine years old, uh, I met you know, one of my first best friends, a guy named Henry Lee Henry, he, uh, he lived across the field from where I lived, and he came, walked across the field one day, and I walked across my yard, and I sat in one ditch, and he sat in the other ditch on the other side of the road, and we, we threw dirt clods at each other. 
Didn't say anything. That was our first day together. We just threw dirt clods at each other. And then we got to be friends. He had a farm, and I hung out at his farm. And then one day we were, uh, we were in the woods not too far from where I lived and where he lived. There was a house being built. There was a big pile of Sussex County black dirt there, a big pile of dirt. And we were having a dirt clod fight, as we always did. And then we went to the top of the hill, and we started digging. We took some sticks, and he got on one side of the hill. I got on the other side of the hill, and we started digging a tunnel through the top of that hill. And we were digging out the dirt, and our goal was, was to make the tunnels meet. He, meet. he was digging on his side, I was digging on my side, and we kept digging and two, until two little eight-year-old boys, their black, muddy little fingers, touched each other between that tunnel. And we made a connection. It's a great picture of reconciliation. But the most important thing about that story is, is we always have to deal with the dirt on our side in order to be reconciled with another person. Say it with me. We always have to deal with the dirt on our side in order to be reconciled. Would you lift your hands to the Lord this morning? Let the Lord minister to you. First of all, be comforted. You're just a human being. You're just a person that you have this treasure in jars of clay. You're just a regular person who loves Jesus. That's growing in your faith. Don't beat yourself up. Don't kick yourself out of the kingdom because you're struggling. But recognize that you struggle with all the saints throughout history as you become more and more like Jesus. And Lord, I pray over our church that we'll be the seeds in our community. The seeds in our community of goodwill to love and to reach out to people that are different than us. And that will love and care for people. We thank you, God, for Barnabas and Paul. And thank you, Jesus, for letting us see this in the scripture. Thank you that you included that in there. We needed to see this. We needed to know it because we know if there's hope for Paul and Barnabas, there's hope for us. We thank you for your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen, amen.